0: This morning, I invite you to open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Acts. We're in chapter number two, beginning with verse number 41. The series title is Empowered to Advance. The Lord said, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Today, we're looking at how God's Spirit was powerfully moving in the apostles' lives And how the early church was birthed and formed, and there was a sense of real health because the church was rightly related to the Lord and to one another. The church was flourishing in its new birth. There was excitement and joy, the power of the Spirit, miracles and wonders, and a sense of great awe and expectancy was in the church. It wasn't something routine. They didn't say, "We'll just go to church and... They were going to go do this and that and the other. But it was like it captivated their life. this, This truth that Jesus Christ was alive and that Christ was changing lives and that he's coming again. And so there was a sense of real anticipation and expectancy that marked the life of that early church. I believe that that's the way the church ought to be. Every day healthy and vibrant and alive and filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? And the reason that it's not that way is because of our own sickness, our own sin, our own selfishness that invades and messes up the spirit of the church and what God wants to do. So today, you'll remember the story how the Holy Spirit came. Last week, we looked at this. How the Holy Spirit fell in great power, filled the disciples where they were at, and and uh, there was the sound of roaring wind. There was the, the 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 flame-looking tongues that were distributed over each of the disciples. How that a gathering took place of people from all over the world where, that were in Jerusalem for the great festival, the the Feast of Weeks, and how on that Pentecost that. Fifty days after Passover Sabbath that the spirit of God was poured out on his disciples. They preached and prophesied and proclaimed and spoke with other languages they didn't even know. And God did a work in and through them. And 3,000 people were added to the life of the church. Isn't that amazing? God is still drawing men and women to himself. Now listen to, as Peter preached, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this promises for you and your children and all who are far off. And he kept persuading them to be saved from this corrupt generation. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent. And so... That Many turned to Christ and were baptized that day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what an influx? This is a church of about 120. And all of a sudden, they've added 3,000 new people to their church. Do you think that might cause some difficulties in the life of the church? How would you like to have a nursery filled with 3,000 new babies? These are all brand new believers in Christ. Yet there was a sense of health and expectancy. Look in verse 41. So those who accepted his message were baptized in that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Amen. Father in heaven, as we read about this early church, a church that was healthy, on fire, and filled with your spirit, Father, our prayer is do it again. Do it again in us. In Jesus' name, amen. What are some characteristics of this healthy church we 've got to go quickly today and through these points, but I want us to to walk through it together in uh, these verses. First of all, notice in verse number 40 42, it says "They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, and so the first thing I would say about this church is it was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They were serious about learning. They were serious about studying the word. They were serious about knowing God and obeying the Lord in their life. They devoted themselves. That means they regularly and continually were present at the teaching of the apostles. They were involved in breaking bread with one another. That's probably an allusion to the Lord's Supper, communing with one another. Praying was part of their life and a priority in their life. They were a part of a small group, a Bible study group, a prayer group, a, a fellowship group where they could ask questions and learn and encourage one another. They met in a large group in the temple complex where they heard God's word and they prayed and they sought God's face in worship. They were committed to know God, committed in their pursuit of God, And desire to learn so that they could obey. This was the heart of this early church. They didn't want to just learn to get more knowledge. They wanted to learn so that they could obey. If you just learn to gather more knowledge but don't apply it, it just leads to being puffed up and arrogant and prideful about how much you know. But it's not about what you know, it's how you live. And how you obey Him. Amen? And so and it's about obedience to Him. And it's applying, it's doing what God has called us to do. Kind of let me give you some insight. I've been, I've been really considering, and I'm very serious about, going on a diet. As a matter of fact, I have bought two or three different diet books. And I've read them, several, two or three of them. And I've been doing some research about dieting online. I am feeling thinner already. (laughs) I know about carbs. I know about calories. And I know about burning uh, calories. And I'm understanding about glycemic index and about... I'm really coming to understand about fiber and the importance of it. Boy, it's important. And, and protein. TMI. All right, now listen. Stay with me. As a matter of fact, I've been reading about exercise. And you know, as I read about... I could feel the pounds wanting to come off. So... I've made a commitment. I'm going to go to the gym. They've got some bleachers there at the Y. And I'm going to watch people exercise. And I think that will help me. And so I'm going to carry my diet books with me. And I'm going to take notes. And I'm going to sit in the gym and take notes as people exercise. But I haven't lost any weight yet. How come? Well, I'm still eating the same way. You know what? Did anybody ever used to watch that Biggest Loser show? Well, I love that show. I I get sucked into that That one in the 600-pound life. I'm watching this show. And I'm eating nachos and watching the show. (laughs) but I'm not losing any way. Anybody identify with what I'm talking about? Folks, devoted means they were committed and they were submissive and they were yielding to the teaching and instruction of the apostles on how to live this Christian life. They were committed to a community of faith where God could do a transforming and an ongoing transformational work in their life. Folks, this is a devotion that we must have in our life. What were they devoted to? The apostles teaching. This is not in the notes, but what do you think that the apostles were teaching them? I think the apostles were teaching them who was Jesus. They were... teaching them who he was. They were teaching them about what did he do? They were teaching them about how Jesus lived his life. They were teaching them about what Jesus taught us. What he taught us about the kingdom. What he taught us about the law. What he taught us about repentance. What he taught us about real righteousness. What he taught us about real relationships with God and with one another. They were teaching what Jesus had taught them. They were sharing what Christ had shared with them. They were talking about how did they follow Jesus and how Jesus changed their life. They were teaching them how they could follow Jesus too as they followed and became a part of the community, how they could please Jesus. It was all about Jesus and teaching God's word teaches us how to rightly walk with God. Amen. Some scripture verses. Psalm 119, verse number nine. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you. How? With all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your, my, your mouth. I rejoice in the way, you, the way revealed by your decrees, as much as in all riches. Wow. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The Word of God has a transformational effect in your life. Psalm 19, verse 7. The instruction, the teaching, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and there is great reward in keeping them. My friends, this book is not an ordinary book. It is the Word of God. And it changes your life as you know it, and as you apply it, and as you live it in your life. And that's why we open our Bible and study God's Word, because in its life for us, Paul writes, he Second Timothy three sixteen All Scripture is inspired. The word inspired there means God breathed. It's the very breath and life of God. It is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. It's powerful and transformation. transformational. Secondly, notice that this church not only was a, a learning church, but it was a communing church. They spent to time together. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They communed with one another. They, they spent time with one another. They, the word communion there is the word koinonia, means to share in common. And so they, they spent time in Together with one another. We're gonna have the Lord's Supper in just a moment. It's gonna remind us of this fellowship, this communion that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that they broke bread together. That that's a, that's hinting at the fellowship, the communion that we in Baptist life we're not we use the word fellowship a lot. But for Baptists and Evangelicals generally, fellowship is code for food. Right? I mean, Luke, if I say, Luke, hey, why don't you come over to the house? We'll have some fellowship. He's expecting food. (laughs) Right? But it's more than that. One little boy was asked, somebody said, can you tell me what fellowship means? And the little guy said, well, I guess two fellows are in a ship. And so, uh, well, you know, it's kind of like that. Two fellows are in a ship, and they go up together, and they go down together. And they're headed the same direction, going to the same place. And you know what? That's what a fellowship and communion is. We're together. We're part of the body of Christ, and we're going where God wants us to go, doing what he's called us to do. We're communing with one another. Look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The cup of blessing, the word blessing there is the word Eucharist, all right? So the cup of blessing that we give thanks for, it is, is it not a sharing? That's the word communion. That's why we call it communion or Lord's Supper, someplace Eucharist. It is It's it's blessing, it's thanksgiving, it's sharing. The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? We're having fellowship as a body as we break bread together. Because there's one bread, and we who are many are one body. For all of us share in one bread. Now, today you're going to take a little piece of bread. It was broken from a larger piece of bread. But in, in a small house church, they would have one loaf of bread. And the analogy is, we would tear off a piece of that bread and eat it, and so it's one loaf, and we are many, but we share in that one loaf. We share in the body of Jesus Christ. We are together. Amen? One, one. Because there's one bread we are many or one body for all of us share in one bread. Folks, we commune together, we fellowship together, and a healthy church is with the Lord and with one another. Amen? Amen. So, number three, they were a generous church. They gave as any had need, and those who had property... Notice what it says, all the believers were together, they held all things in common. This is not communism, by the way. This is not communism. They all had possessions. They all met in their own homes, met from house to house, home to home. They had property and possessions, but they sold possessions and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need It doesn't mean that they were all required to sell everything they have and give it to somebody that oversaw. No, it meant as needs would arise, the church was generous and folks would sell and give so that the needs would be met in the life of the church. Amen? Listen, if you're part of a church that doesn't care for those that are hurting and needy, then there's something wrong with the church. You should say amen right there. They were generous. Now, this is how we know we've come to know him. He laid down his life for us. We should lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Amen. It was a very generous church. They gave. Fourthly, they were a praying church. They sought the Lord in prayer. They they knew that they were dependent upon God. They were not independent but completely dependent on him. They communicated with God. They, what did they pray for? What do you think the early church prayed for when they gathered together? What do you think they prayed for? Do you think they prayed Do you think that the priority of their prayer was God help me close this business deal this week? Was that it? God, help me to be successful so I can buy that brand new car that I want. What do you think they prayed? Jesus Christ had just risen from the dead. Jesus Christ had just ascended into heaven. The Spirit of God had just fallen upon them. They'd been gloriously saved by the power of God. What do you think they prayed for? I think they're praying, dear God, teach me more about you. Dear God, reveal more to you uh, uh, about you to me. Dear God, help me to walk rightly before you. Dear God, forgive me of all the ways I've messed up in my life. And dear God, help me to change and be the man or woman that you've called me to be. Dear God, that I might know you. Dear God, that I might apply. Dear God, help me to be a kingdom man and a kingdom woman. Dear God in heaven, fill me with your spirit. God in heaven, you're coming back. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come again. Oh God, my children don't know Christ. Oh God, my parents don't know Christ. What do you think they're praying for? So much of Western evangelical Christianity has become fluff and empty and self-absorbed and about a show. And we want a God that's a vending machine that provides what we want. But I think the early church focused on who He is and praying that the God of heaven would change them and change their world. Amen. Amen. They were praying, church, John 14, 13, What if you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What a great promise that Christ gave to his church. Amen. Number five, They were a reverent church. Then fear came over everyone. A sense of awe and reverence, and many wonders and signs were being performed to the apostles. Powerful and amazing things were happening at the hands of the apostles. Miracles, the word there, wonders and signs, that's the same language used concerning the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus was still performing miracles, and he was doing it through the apostles, and the church was electric with awe and sense of reverence. We're not talking about stiff formality here. I heard about one young man. He'd, he was so excited and so enthused and he'd just given his life to Christ and he, was, he, he, he just couldn't wait and he came to church and he, was, he just sat up close to the front and, and when the choir sang, he said, Amen! Amen! And then a... Somebody sang some special music, and he said, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And and then the preacher got up to preach, and he just read the scripture, and he said, preach on. And so one of the church members came and said, sir, you're going to have to be quiet. He said, I'm sorry, I just can't help it. He says, I'm filled with the Spirit. He said, well, you didn't get it here. And so uh, I don't want to be that kind of church, do you? One filled with life. There is a sense of expectancy. Paul said, let there be order and let there be priority in the way that you worship. But may you be filled with the spirit and may you prophesy and teach and proclaim and share what Jesus has done in you and watch the impact it has in other people's lives. First Corinthians 14, look. But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in and he's convicted by all and is judged by all, the secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. That's that's what our church ought to be about. About us speaking about Jesus to one another. Telling what Jesus has done to each other. Not just listening to the preacher, but you talking about what Jesus has done in your life. How Jesus is alive in your life. How Jesus is answering prayer. How Jesus saved you from sin. How Jesus has transformed your life. How Jesus has made your wife a better wife. And your husband a better husband. And your children better children. And life is filled with joy because Jesus is my life. As you start preaching and talking about Jesus, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit takes that and he convicts men and he says, God is really alive among these people. Mm-hmm. But too often, we're more excited about our hobbies than we are about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? I can tell you what a man is most excited about. If you talk about Jesus and he doesn't have much to say, but then you talk about his favorite sports team or his favorite hobby and he just can't quit talking, then that's the thing he's most excited about. Right? I mean, real seriously. We get more excited about a deal that we got at Kohl's than we do about the Lord. Five, six. an achieving church they, ch- unbelievable fear came on anyone anyway, and wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles great things were happening the church they were seeing lives absolutely transformed by the glory of God amen uh, I don't have time to Number seven, they were happy. There was joy filled the church. Number eight, they were attractive. People, there was favor with the people. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were Notice it says, having favor with all the people. There was a sense of grace and favor that was on the people and among people. Philippians 2 1 says, If then there's any encouragement, any consolation of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focused on one goal following Jesus, knowing Him, serving one another. John 13 35 says, By this shall all know that my dis- you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's something attractive in a church that's filled with Jesus. God, make that to be our church. Amen. Amen. As we have the Lord's Supper this morning, it's our response. God, make us healthy. Make our church healthy. May we be your people. May we understand that we are one with Christ, that his life... Was given, his blood was shed so that we might have everlasting life. Father in heaven, as we take this communion meal together today, I pray that we would focus on Jesus, all that he has done, and then focus on our relationship with one another. And then, Father, help us to think about the world that's lost, that doesn't know Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Our deacons are coming now, and ushers are going to help you. The way we're going to do this today is we'll file by, and as we file by, we'll take the elements, both the juice and the cup, uh, the, the cup and the bread, and go back to our seat And then in just a moment, we'll share those elements together. So we'll begin row by row. We'll start here at the front, just file by, and take the elements and come back. If you don't want to observe, that's fine. You can stay seated or just pass by. But if you are a believer and you've trusted Jesus Christ and you're obeying him, then we encourage you to come and take the Lord's table with us. You come now. Thank you.